and gentlemen, welcome back to the Awanda Net Domestic Shelters.org Theater uh, and the Nostalgia Memories Podcast, otherwise known as Arcade. Uh, the beauty of the uh, Awanda Net Domestic Shelters.org Theater is that that is our month's sponsor, and uh, the sponsor changes every month. The uh, Patreon has been set up, uh, and all you have to do is go to the website www.ebc2021.com and sign up for the Patreon. You too can become a sponsor of the uh, EBC uh, Theater, which currently is the WandaNet Domestic Shelters.org Theater. All you have to do, if you would like to support our uh, sponsor, uh, sponsor's choice, is uh, go to that website, domesticshelters.org, and search for your local domestic violence shelter. And uh, they all have their individual um, uh, wish lists of things that uh, can help. Uh, if you wanted to donate uh, anything from toiletries, socks, toothpaste and, and toothbrushes, deodorant, uh, hats, gloves, underwear, any of that stuff is, is welcome, but you want to check with your local shelter before you make a donation, and that is one small way that you can help and make a difference, and we appreciate it, as does our sponsor, WandaNet, for this month. So, Arcade Nostalgia Memories Podcast, welcome back, folks. Uh, to my right is, oh my god, his head is extremely phallic tonight. Uh, I, I Like, I had to... That. I had to pull the camera back as far as freaking possible just to fit in his entire enormous cracker head. Uh, yes, a raw, it's a chef's hat, you say? I don't know any chefs that that uh, wear a penis on their head, a giant white penis. Um, way, to, way to do the white power, man. Great job. And our uh, special guest this evening is... Um, I don't know. Like I've been saying, maybe some hobo that I dragged in off of the street. Uh, look, look, he's here in the in the freaking studio with me in my armpit. It's my brother. It's my house. Uh, yeah, it's his house. But uh, yeah, my house. I'm I'm in I'm in the driver's seat. So shut up. <laughs> uh, Star Road Game Cafe, also known as my brother, also known as Joel, also known as uh, some asshole. I don't know. He's he's a member of a band. He's uh, he's uh, a game aficionado and collector, and lots of uh, lots of stuff going on with this one, including picking his nose on screen. It's great. That is the biggest hat I have ever seen. Indeed, short and sweet. It's it's enormous. Um, I I don't know what we're gonna do with him. Here, honestly but anyway uh if you're joining us for the audio version of the podcast you're you're definitely missing out on just how phallic cage's head is tonight and um yeah it's it's great fun uh, we get to watch the uh, the playthroughs of the uh, uh gamers that have uh presented games here uh you know you can see the actual video and um ask questions in our live chat so if you get a chance stop by the uh, twitch channel it's twitch.tv slash ebc 2021 uh we'd really appreciate you seeing here i i believe our next episode is scheduled for the 27th of february it's it's tentative now you want to go to the website ebc2021.com and check the schedule it's usually right at least a week out um so we're we're trying to get the scheduling set for our next episode 
But uh, this is episode seven, so let's go right on over here. And uh, Star Road Game Cafe is going to be presenting Final Fantasy VII, the OG, not the remake, uh, not any of the uh, uh, probably like 17 different uh, things that came out afterwards. You know, like they like they do the, the Final Fantasy X-2 and X-3 and all that. There's probably a Final Fantasy 7 uno and uh you know seven dash green and stuff like that but this is the original game final fantasy 7 um so porting information originally came out 97 on the playstation uh 98 for uh pc windows uh 2009 playstation 3 and the psp 2012 the ps vita uh, 2015, the PlayStation 4, iPad, and iPhone, 2016, Android, and then finally 2019 for Switch and Xbox One. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII. This is um, one of the, I, I want to say, probably one of the main influencing RPGs for a lot of people in our community. Um, a lot of people that grew up with it, uh, you know, the, they, they rate it fairly high and uh definitely for anybody that's a fan of rpg they they've uh you know either spent time with this game or or would want to spend time with it so uh now let's do uh this day in history when uh, final fantasy 7 came out with our uh extremely uh, well endowed chef mr cage how you doing cage I'm good. Um, I've been called a lot of things, but uh, a well-endowed chef, I mean, that's not even an insult. That's a compliment right there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you got so, a big yeah, uh, let me... <laughs> Yes, I do. Um, so let me take you back a little bit. Uh, Friday, January 31st, 19... Japanese release date of it. Um, during that time, Bill Clinton, still the U.S. President, Sir John Major, the U.K. Prime Minister, uh, depending on where you are in the world, you might be listening to uh, top hits such as Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, R. Kelly's I Believe I Can F The Spice Girls' To Become One, and Madonna's Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Uh, famous birthdays on that day, Justin Timberlake was celebrating his 25th birthday. Actress Minnie Driver was celebrating her 37th birthday. Nolan Ryan, famous sports star, uh, 50th birthday. And uh, rest her soul, Lorraine Warren, uh, celebrated her 70th birthday in 1997. Uh, but that's not why we're here. Uh, on that day was born the legend of Final Fantasy VII. Um, the game released to many, many, many positive reviews. Uh, Game Informer gave it a 9.75 out of 10. GameSpot a 9.5. IGN a 9.5. GamePro gave it 5 out of 5 stars. EGN gave it 38 out of 40 points. PlayStation Magazine and official PlayStation US, because there were two different PlayStation Magazines, both gave it 5 stars out of 5. Um, the reviews were crazy off the charts. The game had over 1.8 million pre-orders before release, which I can tell you from working in the industry, that is something that doesn't happen anymore. Like, period. Uh, day one in Japan, the game sold 1.75 million copies. Record fastest selling game ever at the time. The game's popularity actually enticed thousands of retailers in 
United States to break the September street date and start selling it early, like as soon as they got it. Obviously, the game ended up being the best-selling game in 1997, uh, and it ended up selling over 6 million copies by the end of 1997, the best-selling PlayStation game of all time at that um, By the end of its official like PlayStation 1 lifespan, the game had sold over 10 million copies, uh, which, again, is just insane. The game has won more awards than I have time this. Um... So you can imagine, you know, best game of the year uh, from multiple publications, RPG game of the year, PlayStation game, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Tifa won hottest babe of video game babe of the year from uh, publication even. I think it was Maxim. Uh, you know, like just crazy amounts of awards. And it has earned many high spots in like compilations of best game of all time from various publications. Um, the game's popularity has transcended just the game, just the base game. It spawns spin-offs, re-releases, uh, toys and merchandise, re cameo appearances, uh, and crossover appearances for the characters. I, I mean, they've been everywhere, from Super Smash Brothers to Robot Chicken, their own mm -hmm. movies, all this kind of stuff. Uh, the game is quite legendary, obviously. <laughs> but... Uh... That's uh, that's what you got as far as the history of that game. And and, and most importantly, recently, um, we found out that um, there there's certain people in the Italian government uh, that really enjoy watching Tifa porn on government time <laughs> and and broadcasting it over uh, <laughs> the internet <clears throat> to the public. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that's the impact that this game has had. When the Italian government has fallen, how many pixels are in her ass compared to, you know, what, I don't know, whatever game you were playing before that. <laughs> not that many. Not that many. Not, not compared to uh, 2B in, in the, new, uh, uh, the new game. Anyway, uh, yeah, so great impact um what i'm looking forward to as we start to get into the playthrough here is the musical impact that it had i know for a fact this is my brother's favorite game soundtrack and um yeah there the, the music in this is huge and 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 i think it had a huge impact on a lot of people all over the world um when it came out so we're going to take a short commercial break and uh, come back for the first part of the playthrough stay tuned Okay, so this is the first part of the playthrough. And um, the first thing I want to note is um, Joel and I are in the same studio on the same mic, but he's on a different video, so there's going to be a little bit of a delay between what he says and you actually seeing him mouth the words on the screen. So fair warning he might actually say something before you see him say it that you don't want to hear and there's not a damn thing you can do about it but uh <laughs> nobody cares yeah well and this you know we're, we're we're mature rated even on the audio version of the podcast i put an explicit warning so it's on you we if are you, you don't like that fucking shit we are mature rated but not mature yeah, exactly. Well, goddamn. Oh, look. It's the Italian government's favorite... Uh... No, no. 
That's that's oh. Arethesis of the. Oh, that's right. This is Arith, huh? Yeah. Don't ever confuse the two. I I don't know shit about games, man. I just pretend like <laughs> I do. It's it's Tifa you're looking for. Yes. T Tifa. I couldn't see the honkers below. They were below the camera lines. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy VII. See now, I, I I'll tell you what. I really liked in even though this isn't the remake when they redid this and made it all epic and the music swelling and everything like that. Um, but it, clearly, I can see that you know obviously they based it ex almost exactly on that sort of opening where you get to meet Aerith first and, and yeah. now the train, you know. There were a lot of shocker shots in part one where they, at least for a few seconds, recreated something faithfully here or there. Turn that down a bit. Okay, so um, first and foremost, uh, why don't you take us, Joel, through the, uh, the basic storyline like I know, like I know, we're dealing with at, the, at least at the beginning ecological terrorists who are trying to save the planet. Okay, yeah, that's a good start. The game <laughs> sets you up with this premise that uh, you're you're some hired gun, and you've jumped in with this crew of um, environmental terrorists that uh, want to take out this power company, Shinra. Um, and as the game goes on, it gets more dense and more convoluted and it's actually it's actually kind of a setup because uh you know by the end of the game all of this has has washed over they're setting you up with this uh sort of mediocre threat where we're okay uh we avalanche the eco-terrorists are trying to take out shinra the power company who's sucking up all of the the natural energy from the planet and that's that's like a long-term threat and what happens in the game is you go through some twists and turns and you find out that, forget that, there's a much quicker, larger threat. There's a more short-term threat happening. We have to save the planet immediately, not whenever it runs out of energy. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a setup, it's a ploy. They, they, they start you here and then as things start to unfold, the, the stakes get higher. Okay, so so that part where they were essentially trying to uh, like damage Shinra's operation and um, what like, did you expect, Cage? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, we're about to see what he's going to name his main character. He's going to be something dirty. <laughs> oh yeah. So what did you name your main character there? Uh, come slut. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and here comes Barrett. What did I, I forget what I did for him. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what was your question, Scotty? Saint Anger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. If you do check out uh, Star Road Game Cafe on Twitch, uh, he, you will definitely be uh, party to some of the most vile and disgusting names that could possibly be. Whatever we can up. do. Yeah. Um as a form of uh, uh, insane random comedy that just permeates the entire thing. so <laughs> All in the name of your entertainment. <laughs> we try. We try. So, um, my question was, uh, along with the storyline, like, I, I, you know, watching your Final Fantasy VII remake play through, 
I didn't catch that part that they like unless it it just wasn't. Part no, of the you cannot name your character in the remake. No. No. No, but that has to do with uh, the fact that they actually uh, have voices. They, yeah. Like they have full yeah. voiceovers. Yeah. So they're saying they're real names. You know, this that's an old trope in most RPGs from this era. You could you know name all your right. characters. Cage knows playing tactics and naming the. Uh, the Pokemon and all of that Yeah, Pokemon, stuff. tactics, naming the characters after the members of the community and our, our streamer friends. <laughs> yeah, that was actually um, something I found out when I was doing my Final Fantasy retrospective. Final Fantasy X was the last one that allowed you to name the main character. Yes. Because the game was fully voiced, but they just kind of referred to the main character as you. Yeah. Now, or well, him. Okay, and there are some modern games that still do that where they say, um, I'm trying to think of an example of that. Or, or they just don't say their name, or they refer to it as like a, a surname or a title. Like in Genshin Impact, it's it's Traveler. They call her Traveler, but then your name pops up in the text on the screen, right? So they, they found ways around that, but... Uh, it is what it is. In a story-based game like this, when they're speaking, you, you want them to hear their real names. And hopefully we get to a point in uh, technology where it'll just... Uh, read it for it. Read it. Yeah, that that'd be nice. You, you punch although, in whatever you want, and the voice actor says it like oh, like text to speech. <laughs> although it's it's gonna be you know like messed up pronunciations too. So instead of uh, uh, kumslut, it's gonna be uh, kumslut or something like kumslut. <laughs> the Swedish pronunciation. Yeah. Um. So on the storyline, I what I didn't notice was. Uh, that it notched it up like you said that you know it went from let's just see if we can damage Shinra's operation to we need to do something to actually save the planet now yeah yeah because what happens is is a bigger threat comes in like I said they raise the stakes um, okay so oof, oh, the story is so long and convoluted we could spend an hour me giving you like a synopsis from beginning of that to end of whatever happens in the game um, but I would say some of the main points are, uh, while you're battling Shinra, you find out they have, they're totally nihilistic, they have no problem destroying people, or killing people to further their agenda. Um, they have uh, a bunch of suits and a bunch of super soldiers they use to get done what they want to do, and scientists. And you bump into the main villain of the game, who is Sephiroth. And Sephiroth is a super soldier that is injected with the cells of an alien species that crash-landed on their planets, uh, what was it, like 2,000 years prior to the events of the original game. And um, so he figures this out, and he goes totally batshit crazy and uh, wants to destroy the planet. So he's the immediate threat. And you, at, at a certain point... You stop fighting Shinra so much, and you're you're just after him, the big baddie. That's, I guess, the simplest way to put it. But there's so many other things that happen along the way. Right. Well, and not only that, but I mean, you know, the being a, a more complex RPG at this point, you know, you've got the mini games, the side quests, all of the other stuff coming into play with its own little facets of the storyline. Yeah, that's the thing about the story is. Uh, I look. I, I took a look at a lot of the spinoffs. Um, I haven't played them all, 
but uh, there were two prequel games, of, um, one of which was a Japanese-exclusive mobile game. So, you know, if you want the story for that, you can just find a synopsis on YouTube. That's what I did. And there's a game between that and um, this, which is only for the PSP. <laughs> so you'd either be emulating that or you'd own it for the PSP to play it. Um, and then in the timeline is the original game. And then uh, near the end of the game begins the events of Dirge of Cerberus, which is a PS2 game based off of one of the optional characters in the game. And then two years after the ending of the game is the movie Advent Children. So that's the brunt of the timeline, those five items. And the thing about it is, is they end up filling a lot of plot holes, but because they have their own storylines and they're all also convoluted in their own ways, they end up just sort of recycling the problem. You filled some plot holes and now you've created others. So studying the lore of this game is something you have to put really work, a lot of work into. You gotta play these games or, or at least watch summary videos and you gotta watch the movie and you gotta have the ultimate the Ultimania archive and you, you go through and I'm one of those people that watches all of the theory videos on, on, on YouTube as well. Not just for this game but especially for this game. I've seen a lot of Final Fantasy 7 theories. Um, but that, you know, you end up getting the most of the story from those five pieces like I said. So I put together a playlist on YouTube and it just basically covers uh, front to back everything that the, all of the events of all of these games and the movie. Alright, um, so now uh, anybody that like wants to get into the lore can do that. Look at those five pieces. Let's, let's switch now into some more of the gameplay. Um, and in particular, I want you to comment because um, we haven't really uh, we haven't really done any of this style of RPG now uh, so far with arcade. So uh, in particular, uh, not only this being an RPG, but featuring turn-based combat. Uh, and uh, can you describe to us first of all, like we, for instance, now you're fighting the. Uh, the giant uh, crab thingamabobber. <laughs> um, tell us how this turn-based combat function works for anybody that's not really familiar with this style of RPG. Okay, so um, it's exactly how it sounds, turn-based. So each character takes turns performing some sort of attack or defensive function. Uh, so come slut here, he'll you know likely go first and you can attack. And then in between, the enemy will attack. And it goes back and forth that way. And um, you end up having three, a max of three characters in your party in Final Fantasy VII. And so it would be some predetermined order that has a flow, like it, it, a Cloud, then the enemy attacks, then Barret, then Tifa, then the enemy attacks, then back to Cloud. And if you wish, you can fudge the system and toy with it a little bit. Like you can. Uh, defend or skip your turn, and it's based on the time meter there that you see going up. So you have to wait for the meter to build before you can attack. That way you're not just spamming attacks the enemy, they have essentially the same thing, you just don't see it. And um, the more damage you take, the more uh, your limit meter builds up, and that allows you to use a special attack. 
And so it's this balancing act of healing at the right times, performing magic spells at the right times, doing um, physical attacks at the right times. Depending on the enemy, the enemy may have uh, various strengths or weaknesses. Like you can see here, we're fighting a lot of mechanical and robot enemies, so the, the lightning magic does a lot of damage on them. So there's, there's an elemental value to it all. And uh, later on in the game, you end up getting different types of special attacks, uh, including Summon Materias, which is this um, summon a big Archon creature that comes to your aid and deals a massive amount of damage and then bails out. That's good against things like boss battles that have a lot of hit points, etc., etc. Uh, but the main draw of the battle system, to me in particular, is the Materia. Um, I will briefly describe Materia, but then I'm going to pass it to Cage here because he can better describe the types of battle system and leveling and job systems that happened in Final Fantasies 1 through 5 as, uh, so, we, so that we can compare them. But in Final Fantasy 7, what you get is your normal uh, buying or finding or stumbling across weapons and armors that have better stat values as you progress through the game. But each weapon and armor has slots, and in these slots you can put materia. And in the game, what materia is, is um, a condensed version of Mako energy, which is uh, what the Shinra are using to power their city. Um, but you get, you get different uh, magical abilities from it. And what's, I think, so appealing about the materia system to me is that you have different combinations that work together. Uh, you get so many slots and some of them are linked or unlinked in your weapons or in armors. So a great common example of that is we were talking about lightning magic. Well you need lightning material to do lightning magic. So if Cloud has two slots in his weapon, he can put lightning in one of them and later on you find uh, different material. That's all. It's a modifier material. It's a supplementary thing. So if you put all with the lightning materia, what happens is rather than casting lightning on one enemy, you cast it on all of them. And you can reverse this back with uh, healing materia as well. You can cure your entire party all at once rather than one person. So the game does a really good job of making you feel like you can break the game. That you sort of call the shots and determine, you know, all of these combinations of things that can work for you. Um, Cage, would you describe for us, you know, like the job system or what it was like before the materia system? Yeah, sure. Um, so with, uh, with Final Fantasy in general, as most people know, it kind of based around D&D, like your actions, you get experience points for defeating enemies. Um, the turn-based system, you know, as you already described it, everyone kind of like takes their turn based on their speed and such of that nature. So, like, in if I were to individually describe each of the the one like one through six uh, before this point, um, well, it'd probably take forever. But this was the first one where you could customize your character in this type of way, as Joel already mentioned. Uh, before that, in the first two or in the first game you picked a character and they were that set class they were the fighter or the monk or the wizard and that's all they were yeah. like they they could they could get more powerful but they could not like 
directly change what they were. Um, in the second game, it had a game. There is it. It dropped the traditional XP system for a different type of leveling system, more akin to Skyrim. If anyone's familiar with how Skyrim did, the more you used an axe or used a cure spell, you got better at it. Um, Final Fantasy three, four, five all had uh, the job system back, but three and five allowed you to actually like actively change characters' jobs and learn abilities that way. But you were still stuck to those abilities while you were in that job. Uh, and then six allowed you to equip espers, the summoned creatures, and they would teach you new magic. Mm. Whereas all those systems are very different from each other and from seven, seven allowed you to just literally put whatever material you wanted on your stuff and your character instantly had the abilities of that materia. Right, um, right. And, so uh, it, and the materia itself could be leveled up. So, yes. uh, and, and that would retain that level. So if we take our example of lightning materia, we unequip it from Cloud and we equip it to Tifa, she immediately has that ability but already leveled up. So for strategy purposes, if you knew you, that you were going into a battle or you had lost a battle and had to restart, uh, that you had to play a certain role or play off of an enemy's weakness, you could rearrange it to your liking to better strategize for that battle. So, um, in your opinion, was that an improvement with the combat going from what one through five had to? That's that's a matter of personal taste. To me, yes, I like. Uh, I like that. I'm, I, I feel like uh, Final Fantasy VII fans that really love the game love taking time in the sub-menu, rearranging or arranging their materia perfectly, because the game throws a lot at you as you move on. Um, in some cases you can buy materia, in some cases you find materia, you, you even end up with doubles or triples of some materia. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that. I think it's... Um, yeah, I would call it an improvement. I would call it an improvement. And as far as the Materia's role in the battle system goes, I think I would put it, if not my favorite, in my top three, then, for Final Fantasy battle systems and leveling systems. Yes. All right, uh, Cage, we had uh, a couple of questions there in the chat that I know were more directly related to the gameplay. Can we get to some of those? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so let's start off here, uh, easy one here, from Cordial Snail. Uh, did you play the game the year it was released? So 1997, were you sitting in front of your PlayStation playing this game? <laughs> Cordial, no. Um, I was late to the party. Uh, I grew up with an N64, and so we had like Mario, Zelda games, um, things like that. And um, I think my first experience with Final Fantasy VII was over a friend's house. We, uh, uh, he had a PlayStation. And I remember my, my first time him showing this to me. I think he was somewhere out there out on the world map after the Midgar segment. And he just let me sort of take the controller and get into battles. And it was my first experience with uh, any Final Fantasy game, uh, let alone turn-based battling. So I was instantly hooked. I would later... Uh, but get myself a PS1 
and borrow his copy uh, to play at home for myself and actually progress through the story. So I want to say by then, probably eight and nine were already out because I I could swear, if my memory serves correctly, that I was at home playing Final Fantasy VII on my PlayStation and I had just heard news that the PS2 was coming out or had it had just come out. So, and that was what, 2000? I think. Yeah, I was a little late to the game. A, a couple years behind. But you still kind of latched on to this one in particular. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, so... Let's see here. Do you have a favorite character to play as? Wants to know. Short and sweet. Eight four zero two. Short and sweets. Um, it's different in the turn-based battle. Uh, you know, if we were in the remake, I would say I loved playing as Tifa, but it's not quite the same. It's totally evolved combat in the remake. I think um, in in original, I really enjoyed. Ooh, ooh, that's a tough question. All right, hold on. Give me a sec. <laughs> no, I don't want to say Tifa. I, I want to say I most enjoyed using um, Barrett and Vincent. Vincent being an optional character uh, that you can get later on in the game, but he's actually essential to some of the, the, the backstory and the plot lines. Sorry, I, I, I was I'm watching I'm watching the playthrough and I'm probably a little delayed on, uh, on here. But like your character just you know double flipped into the thing and everyone's like, come slide. <laughs> uh, wait till we name uh, Tifa. That should be coming oh up. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, oh my God, come slut! What are you doing? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, any more? Did I miss? Uh, did we have any more questions there? I do have a couple uh, other questions if we got some time for this yeah. segment. Yeah, yeah give me another one. Um, so, obviously, we're we're very much at the beginning part of the game here. Um, but uh, Ingledoom, the one and only Doomster, Ooh. wants to know which <laughs> which part of this playthrough was your favorite. Uh, this playthrough, I didn't get very far in. Um so maybe just in maybe just in general from like all your playthroughs. Yeah, I think I think I love pretty much the entire Midgar section. And and it's it's funny actually. I'm going to expand upon my answer for you Doom is that um I think my first time playing through this game, it, it sets you up. It's got this big epic intro and you play all the way through the Midgar section and and you go up and you, you you're in the Shinra building and you do all this crazy stuff and you escape and everything's really tense and then the game starts to lull a little bit for for a while you get out onto the world map and you know you start getting some backstory and some exposition and you're just sort of traveling around figuring out where to go and um i think my first time playing through this I was so action-oriented, I wanted more, that I, I started to get a little bit bored with it. And now, in retrospect, I, I love all the story and, and, and all of the calm parts of the game. Um, but I hadn't given it enough of a chance. So I think my second time playing through, 
uh, I had gotten farther than I had before. It wasn't until my third or fourth playthrough that I actually beat the game, because I have a nasty habit of uh, stopping for a while and going, no, 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 I, I need to refresh my memory, and starting over from the beginning of a game, especially RPGs like this, no matter how many hours I put in. If enough months go by, I go, no, i got to start again from the beginning so it's fresh in my brain. <laughs> and um, the story drastically picks back up, like, before you even hit disc two. It gets really crazy, and it gets you engaged and focused, and you, and you got to know what's going to happen. Um, but more often than not, I think it, literally 50% of the game is my favorite part of the game to play through. It's like, okay, we got to get through this, and now we're on to this exciting part. But because I think I did disc one so many times, I just, I have mad nostalgia for uh, pretty much all of Midgar and the Shinra building. I like the, the infiltrating part of it and the stealth, and I like the fight scenes and, you know, all of the stuff that comes along with the Shinra building. So you wore out disc one and... and I wore the hell out of disc so one. Much, <laughs> not yeah. so much on the successor discs. I want to say I've only actually beaten the game twice for as much as I've played it. Because I probably started playing through at least a dozen times in my life. <laughs> All right. Um, let's uh, switch gears back towards the storyline a little bit. And let's talk now more about advancement and completion. Like, uh, first of all, have you beat the game before? Yeah. Yeah, I just said that. Like, twice, I think. And I probably... I'm sorry, I don't listen to half the shit you say. <laughs> and I probably uh, come close to beating it, but didn't another one or two times. Okay. Out of my dozen or so attempted playthroughs from beginning to end. Okay. So, like, in your in your current experience with um, gaming and, and where you want to take this now for the foreseeable future... How how high up on your list is it to actually complete this game now? Well, I think I beat it about a year or two ago. So not that much, but that's only because I'm obsessed with Remake and I'd like to play through that, part one at least, another time before I, I take it back to original. Okay. So you did get it at least once. What? The beating this, right? Twice. Twice. Okay. Twice. So I think twice for sure. And 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 uh, what one of the things that I've learned now in in looking at speed running is that they have what's called an any percent, which is beat the game by just about any means possible. Yeah. And a hundred percent, which is usually like all the bosses, all the items that are are either relevant or not relevant, depending on what game you're playing. You know. So, uh, what would you be looking at in in closing to 100% completion on the game? Mm, not very close. Not very close. Um, for example, my last playthrough, um, of the two optional characters, Yuffie and Vincent, uh, I went for Vincent and I completely skipped Yuffie. So the next time around... It, well, and I'm not, I'm not racing. I like to enjoy the story. I'm going to take my time. Um, I don't think I would ever speedrun this game. Not likely. Um, 
but I think next time I play through, I will see out Yuffie's backstory and all of the side quests associated with her, and maybe miss out on the Vincent one, because I, I usually go for Vincent. Um, I don't think in any one playthrough or run through of it did I uh, 100% anything. Uh, so there's a lot of little side things that sometimes you just honestly don't give a crap, especially if you've already done them once. <laughs> yeah, so now uh, we've just gotten to this part where you actually meet Tifa in the game, and what did you name her? Tids. 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 With two Ds. Yeah. Oh, they're two Ds. <laughs> At least. I wonder. I wonder if the uh, the Italian government has officially uh, renamed their <laughs> internet broadcast in, in the same vein. You know, now now coming up on C-SPAN, Tids, everybody. <laughs> um, well, Joel. So Joel, uh, this will tie into the last question I have here on my list. Mm. Um, but. Uh, so you were talking about you've only completed this game twice so far, and you you've never done like a hundred percent completion. But uh, Ronathan PXPX wants to know if you've defeated the weapon creatures, uh, specifically Emerald and Ruby weapon. Uh, no, I think um, on one of my playthroughs I went after Emerald and I was too under leveled, so I just I passed it up and kept going. That's especially some of the, like, higher-end stuff. In Final Fantasy, like, in some Final Fantasies, you get, you have, like, ultimate weapons and things. I usually don't go for those things. I'm a more casual player, even in my favorite games. I think the only game I've ever nearly 100% completed was uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, and that's just... I have the time and the means, and I, I set out to actually do it. Final Fantasy games, not so much, even though I like, for example, Final Fantasy VII more than I do Breath of the Wild, there was just something about it that, that kept me coming. I I, uh, I don't think I got through either weapon uh, fight. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know uh, what weapon is, it is <laughs> uh, creatures summoned by the planet to help protect the planet that instead just sort of fuck up some towns because they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, um, we can cover that more if we talk about the plot more, I guess. <laughs> well, to, to kind of get in more simpler terms, I guess, really, though... Cage, we lost like, there for a second. Okay. Uh, it's probably mm. my computer. Um, I don't have you there. I can hear him. You hear him? Yeah, is it your headphone? Yeah, it might be mine cut out. Technical difficulties. There we go. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah, to put it in more, like, kind of easier perspective uh, about what weapons are, I mean, Joel gave, like, the kind of, like, the definition in lore, which, you know, no one's surprised that, you know, Joel likes the lore. <laughs> um, the, the, the weapons, emerald and ruby weapons, they're called super bosses, they are actually bosses in the game that are more difficult than the game's final boss. Yes. Like, they are a challenge uh, to defeat. And you basically... Um, in this in this game, there are... In some of the Final Fantasies, you just kind of like bragging rights for defeating these type of super bosses. This game, you actually earn really good rewards for defeating them. Yeah, what so, are the rewards? Since I've never gotten through um, them. <laughs> 
The emerald weapon you get. I apologize. Hold on. I got a cat on my lap. It's falling into me. Um, <laughs> the emerald weapon. There are three super rewards, and two of them come from defeating Emerald and Ruby Weapon. The Emerald Weapon, I believe, grants you a Golden Chocobo, which can mm. literally travel anywhere. Mm. And defeating the Ruby Weapon grants you a set of Master Materia, Master Command, Master Summon, Master Magic. Equipping one of those Materia to a uh, character allows you to use all the commands, all the summons, or all the magic spells. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know how, I don't think it's that related, but let's get to this last question here. Isnib uh, asks, what do you say to the people that claim Kefka is a superior antagonist to Sephiroth? <laughs> uh, we say they're dumb. <laughs> well, considering I never beat Final Fantasy VI, or for you... Uh, Americans that don't know your number history for Final Fantasy, it'd be Final Fantasy 3. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. I think Sephiroth is a great villain because he's got this, um, you know, sort of chaos, I want to destroy the world, but he's also like calm and composed, which makes him more evil to me. Uh, Kefka... You know, from what I did play of Six, he's more kind of wacky and out there, but he's got like a, a backstory and a sob story, right? So I guess um, uh, go fuck yourself because there's more Sephiroth than there is Kefka. Tell them to make 50,000 spin offs of Final Fantasy VI. I'd love that, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, like, for, for me personally as a Final Fantasy fan, like Kafka, Kafka is the Joker. Yes. Like literally is the Joker from the Batman series, and while that works really really well in Batman, it did. I don't think it translated that great into Final Fantasy. Plus, Sephiroth has a giant, like, ten foot long katana. The Masamun. That he uses for things. And um. Stuff. Okay. So. <laughs> No, that's that's a good comparison, and well, and I don't hate Kafka for that. I I wouldn't say it doesn't fit in Final Fantasy VI. It was just them, you know, the developers probably trying something different. But I'm trying to compare Sephiroth to somebody, and it's like in the back of my mind, but I can't think of who, because he he's got all of the I want to watch the world burn that the Joker has, but he's like, like I said, totally composed, has a plan, totally patient. It's a little less chaotic. He knows exactly what's going on. I think that uh, actually makes him a scarier villain because he's so confident that he cannot fail. Uh, you know, even though you defeat him at the end, but uh, watch the movie after, and yeah. All I know is that, uh, like Shinra, what you're supposed to do is, like, anytime you come across a natural disaster or anything chaotic or something, you, you're supposed to say, did Shinra do this? Or uh, Sephiroth? <laughs> yeah, did Sephiroth See, do I, this? I don't even know the names of these fucking characters. <laughs> what the hell? So Shinra's the power company. Shinra, also, Sephiroth, Tids, they're all the same. Also, I have a quick bit about that, is that the game sets you up that, that Shinra is the enemy, this, this power corporation, at the beginning of the game, 
and you know the big baddie at the end is Sephiroth. But the thing about it is, if you do delve into the lore, um, you find out that like Hojo, the lead scientist at Shinra, in, in his own ways is more of a villain than Sephiroth. He's like the most evil person in the entire franchise of Final Fantasy VII. No, we we have somebody by that name in our community, Hojo. Oh no, that's Joho. Joho, Hojo. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, but uh, we we came to the uh, end of the first part of the playthrough, and um, we're going to take a short commercial break, uh, in which we ask, did Sephiroth do that? All right. So we're back now for the second part of the playthrough. Uh, so so far we've. Um, We've had uh, Aerith picking flowers. We've had Cloud riding on a train. Uh, Barrett has a gun attached to his arm. Is that both arms? Just one. Just one. So, yeah. I know in, in the remake it's just one, but as we commented uh, when we were watching the, uh, the remake, um, where the fuck does he keep his bullets? <laughs> like, do they, does he just shove them up his ass and they come out his arm? Or, you know, is there like a pocket thing? He stuffs his, his gun arm in his pocket to reload or something? Anyway. And then Russ would say, why the hell does he have a pocket on the left side? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, that and they, they blew up, uh, the one reactor and uh, they escaped, and uh, then we went back to uh, Avalanche as the name of uh, the rebel group of disenfranchised citizens who have taken it upon themselves to oppose Shinra's ambitions, according to uh, Moby Games. Yeah, so the game slowly starts spelling out, you know, that uh, you're living in the slums here. There's an upper portion of the city and a lower portion of the city. The lower portion of the city has polluted air, they don't get sunlight. Yeah. Uh, the water's all messed up, Shinra doesn't take care of them, and all of the high society, highbrow people live on the uh, upper portion of the plates of Midgar. But, but, but the most important part I saw is that when they were in, in the, uh, the bar, that underneath the bar is Avalanche's secret hideout, you actually had to go to a pinball machine, and that would take you down through the floor, and that, that's like the best part of the whole game for me. Like, you have to play pinball to become a, a, an eco-terrorist. I suppose if you're a regular patron of 7th Heaven, <laughs> Tifa's Bar, you're just not allowed to play pinball. Yeah. They hit you with a spray bottle like you're a bad cat. No. Get away. Yep. All right. Um, so now, uh, what I'd like to do, uh, first and foremost, is, uh, because we're, we're now in, uh, typically what we do in the second part of the playthrough is, uh, get away from the gameplay uh, aspects of it and the history and all that and talk more about like the memory surrounding it. So the first thing I want to ask you is um, out of all the Final Fantasies that are out there, see, not, not too long ago recently, uh, my co-host Legion Cage and uh, very weird uh, beanie-wearing gent from across the pond in our community uh, recently did a uh, ranking of uh, and, and discussion of all of the Final Fantasies. What did you What did you go up to? Thirteen. Yeah. Okay. So one through thirteen, all of the ones in between, and all that. Wait, you didn't do fifteen? No. No, fifteen doesn't matter. <laughs> it's been out long enough. But um, I only went up to thirteen or twelve. Twelve. Like, we didn't do thir We didn't. Do, we went up through twelve. 
Okay. Like so, we didn't do fifteen and, or thirteen. 15. Well, and and is Nib the the gentleman of which I am speaking uh, is in the middle of playing thirteen. I think he's almost done with it. But um, you know, they did a ranking where they basically took all of those those individual games and said, okay, um, you know, how would I rate it? You know, what what's the uh, the pros and the cons of each one and, and went into an in-depth discussion. So my question for you, Joel, is out of all the Final Fantasy games that there are, now that you're getting back more into gaming and, and wanting to uh, start to make that more a part of your life again this as a, a form of recreation and all these things, how would you rank, like, what Final Fantasy games that you want to load up and start <coughs> playing, you know, putting some serious time into playing? Um, I, I would say I could give a top five on that. Yeah, that's fine. And, uh, well, even if they stopped at 12, I think most seasoned Final Fantasy players would put 13. It's two sequels. 14, which doesn't really count because it's an MMO but some people really like it and 15 it's probably in the mid to low tiers anyways uh, there, there are some people that defend them but though that wouldn't make my top 5 none of them would make my top 5 13 mm-hmm. a very pretty game 15 a very pretty game they have their strengths but uh, it's not where my heart is so you know yeah my top 5 would definitely be 7 um and you know what? Let's just do mainline series. Let's not do spin-offs or remakes or sequels or prequels. Um, I would probably go in no particular order: seven, nine, twelve, six, and ten. Oh, especially six because you, you got to give an answer to Isneb on what you think of Kefka and. <laughs> you have to play it first. I think Sephiroth's the better villain. Villain. That, that's my answer. But I, I don't. I don't hate on Kafka. He, he would. He would take uh, number two spot. There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, so one more time. Seven in first place. Second place is. Um. It, no, in no particular order. Just oh. a top five. I'm gonna go six, seven, nine, ten, twelve. Those are probably my favorite ones to play would want to play through, etc., etc. Okay. Um, and, yeah, there's some other ones there that I hate to not make the list. Like, I know, Cage, you're a fan of Tactics. I really want to see that game through. I just haven't had the patience for it. You know, that's a game you gotta, you got to focus. you gotta, you got to put in energy. Um, I really love Tactics, the way it's designed, how it's totally different from every, every other Final Fantasy in, in that it's a strategy RPG, and it's... It's like a mystical game of chess. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd like to play more than a couple hours of the very first Final Fantasy, but again, you gotta have patience. <laughs> you gotta be patient. Okay, and uh, related to that, um, so obviously your favorite is Seven. Uh, if there was one other Final Fantasy game that you would recommend besides 7 to somebody who... Well, no, I make recommendations based off of taste. So, an old-school gamer, I'm not going to recommend Final Fantasy 12 to. You know, okay. if they really like retro gaming, I'm going to say, ooh, try 6. Try 6, because that was sort of the last one before they moved into 3D and discs. It was still on cartridges, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... But for a 
person that likes a little more action-oriented, big, beautiful scenes and graphics and epic music and, you know, or you can also divide it by, say, uh, what's a little more steampunk and what's a little more medieval, you know? Uh, six had steampunk punk elements like seven did, and twelve was set in Ivalice, is uh, the same world as Tactics, and it's fully medieval, there's nothing steampunk about it. Uh, other than maybe, I guess, the airships you could argue, Cage, right? Um, but even then, I, I, think, yeah. I, I think there's a nod in the story to where it's um, you know, magic-based, right? It's, it's not you know, uh, technology. Yeah, no, it depends on the player. Accurate, yeah. Personally speaking, I would say I most want to replay 12, even though 7 is my favorite. If I was going to pick another Final Fantasy, the most that recently has been on my mind that I want to play is I want to play through 12 again. Because I love that game. <laughs> I think it's underrated. I think it gets a, a lot of flack, and it's a really good game. All right. Um, so now let's move on uh, to more of the the musical aspects of it. Because, as I said previously, I know this had a huge influence on you. It's your favorite uh, game soundtrack ever. So, so two parts of that. First of all, let's talk about like the musical influence from the time that you first started playing that, uh, and how that influenced your own musical career, and uh, how that has influenced your uh, game and music collection over the years, and 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 the various branches you've taken with that, because it's been influenced or reflects the the music from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, what was the first part of the question? First part is, is like, you know, right from the beginning that you started playing it, you said you were over a friend's house and you were kind of late to the game. So yeah, uh, hearing the soundtrack and, uh, and then actually going out and trying to, you know, capture the music for yourself, either purchasing the soundtrack or yeah. probably downloading it illegally on Napster or whatever, Kazaa. All of the know. above, yeah. Uh, um, LimeWire, yeah. And then, like I know you play, you play piano, and as a, a child, I know you probably did a lot with like hearing music and then trying to recreate it on the piano. So, so let's talk about first like the historical musical impact it had on you as a kid. Right. So I think the first thing, the first piece of the puzzle is that we grew up with a piano in the house that belonged to our grandfather, an electric piano, and um, before Final Fantasy even. Uh, I would be playing Ocarina of Time for the N64, and I was also obsessed with that music. So I would play the game a little bit, have the music stuck in my head, and then head over to the piano to try to figure it out by ear. And, and that's exactly what I did. I never learned to read, read uh, sheet music. So I would just pick out the notes by ear and practice it until I got the tune down, at least with one hand. So the same thing would happen with Final Fantasy. Um, and even when I started getting into digital music and programming and um, digital instruments, I remember uh, trying to recreate the opening bombing mission song from Final Fantasy VII uh, in my computer without instruments and uh, just sort of digitally programming some of those things. And almost so as to recreate it or reimagine it, but with different instruments. Um, and that's something I'm actually 
currently planning to work on is to recreate one of the tracks from the remake as well, because I love that soundtrack just as much. Um, but I did end up with, this is probably one of the oldest things in my collection in terms of how long I've had it, the four-disc soundtrack for Final Fantasy VII. It's something I begged our mother for until she broke down and ordered it online for me, or I had pulled up the link and I, <laughs> I kept going, Mom, please, I gotta have this. It's, it's four discs, <laughs> and it's got all of the music from the game. So, but in my writing, even in my uh, rock and metal writing for the band, you, sometimes you notice if, if you're a musician, there's, there's little, little, uh, bits of that stuck in my head. I had this conversation with a producer buddy of mine recently, just things from our past that mold who we are as writers, as musicians, as composers. Your influences shape how you write. And not in terms of recreating something you've heard, just how the patterns work in your brain. So a lot of uh, Nobuo Matsu's music, because he did the music for all of the Final Fantasies up until um, up until the MMO, I think. He did it through 10. Uh, so a lot of that music from 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 uh, sort of shaped the way I write in terms of chord progressions and scales and arpeggios. So what, what's his name again? Nobuo Umatsu. So would you say that like his his style of music in particular more had a bigger impact on you, or was it kind of like the stylings within the game, how it was utilized? Well, that too. The whole creating an atmosphere. As far as film and, and game music goes, you, you, you don't just have a song. You have a song that's trying to paint a, a specific mood or environment. Um, and that's, that's the thing I think is the most influential on me as a writer is I'm an atmosphere creator. Uh, I'm trying to create a mood or tension or a feeling. And I think that does come a lot from game music and film music. Not just Umatsu, but, you know, Hans Zimmer in the Batman films and Inception and John Williams and, and uh, you know, Koji Kondo doing all the Nintendo music. All of that was influential on me. And um, let, let me ask about the uh, some of the mechanics. Like you said, you never learned to read sheet music, and I was the same way. Like I, I, I can, I can basically look at a piece of sheet music, and I can kind of, sort of figure out over a long period of time where the notes are and exactly, and then you know start to play it as a whole. But it, it, like sight reading never was a thing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like the musical mechanics of that. How then uh, does, or did that aspect of hearing it on the game, having it in your head, going over to the piano and trying to recreate it over time, then impact not only like your own music creation, but your, you being a part of a major rock band. Uh, I think that sort of self-taught method lends to learning basic music theory without learning basic music theory. Because I didn't do any sort of music stuff in school. Um, so 
I think learning things by ear taught me in a roundabout way, like I said, the chords and the scales and the progressions of things. And I do know basic music theory because of that and because of attempting to compose and recreate music. Uh, like like we talked about, without, without sheet music, without really delving into music theory. All of the basics of it came naturally at that point. Hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, just to echo what Cage said there, if anybody, like if you're uh, lurking or, or um, can't see the chat, if you have any questions for our uh, guest, just go ahead and put them in the chat and we'll go ahead and ask him here um and and if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast uh, again we want to encourage you to stop by the twitch channel which is uh twitch.tv slash ebc 2021 where you can actually jump in the chat and ask your own questions when we do the live broadcast of the podcast and uh and and record it uh and then uh you know i go in there into the uh, studio and shop up the audio and post it to the rss feed usually a couple of days after um so uh, first of all, we we uh, do want to highlight uh, our guest as well. He's he's uh, got some things in a lot of different places here. So the first thing I would say is um, check out the band. Along came a spider. You can see his hat there, uh, Acas or um, uh, uh, all crispy apple supplements. All cops are sexy. There you go. Uh, Along Came a Spider, anywhere on Spotify, iTunes, all that. They just came out with a a new album not too long ago called Black Hole. And, um, yeah, really good uh, progressive rock, isn't it? It's rock metalcore. Metalcore, yeah. Metalcore hybrid, yeah. Oh, Cage is right on the spot with a nice Spotify link. Good job. Oh, thanks. That's that's why that's why he's my co-pilot because I can't steer worth a damn. Uh, all major streaming platforms: Spotify, iTunes, uh, Pandora, YouTube, all of that. It's it's all there. Yep, and and if you show up at his door, he he might like give just give you a CD and a pie or something like that. Mm-mm, the pie is mine. You oh. can have a CD. Okay, there you go. And uh, and then furthermore, uh, in the gaming community, uh, he's here on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Star Road Game Cafe. I'm not going to spell it out. It's exactly like it sounds. Star Road Game Cafe, all one word. And um, uh, lots of different games, but the majority of what you play is... Well, I'm, I'm trying to go more RPG forward. Okay. Where, like, at least 50% of the games I'm going to play are RPGs. There you go. And um, you typically can catch him right, actually, in the time slot we're we're recording this live, um, which is Sunday nights, starting at around 10 p.m. 10 to midnight. uh, Eastern Standard, 10 to midnight, yeah. And um, otherwise, uh, like, if there's any special events or anything that we're going to be doing... Uh, collaboration or anything like that, you, you can check them out on my schedule, which is going to be at the website www.ebc2021.com. And uh, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, otherwise, um, there is a link on the website for the uh, brand new Discord that we are both a part of, uh, actually all three of us, uh, Cage included. Uh, we're all uh, founding council members of the brand new Discord server, the Conflux, 
And uh, again, if you're listening on the audio version of the podcast, you can uh, go to the website there and get the invite link for the new Discord server and check that out. It is a comprehensive uh, streamer and uh, viewer Discord server that uh, covers so many different types of entertainment uh, uh, avenues and uh, you'll, you'll definitely find something there for you, uh, including some of our uh, Discord-only content and anything else that, uh, you know, all three of us would be doing, uh, including our guest, uh, Star Road Game Cafe, which is my brother, Joel. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's saying, fuck that shit. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know not- him. We're we're not actually brothers. We we just um, he broke into my house, sat at my computer, started eating a sandwich, I know. and 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 I just started streaming. Like, <laughs> have you ever seen anybody do that? Just a you have no per idea who they are, and they just come into your house and sit down at your computer and start streaming to Twitch. Like, how random. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Joel, uh, so during our last break, I went and grabbed something I figured I'd share with you and uh, all our viewers. Um, so, I used to work for a video game retailer company, as most people do know. I'm pretty open about that. The last um, the last con- uh, work conference that we went to was before the release of Final Fantasy uh, VII Remake, you know, in the before times, before the Rona. Um, and when we were there... Uh, we are actually each given a special uh, memento for the game. Um, and I found mine real quick. So, this is just the back of it here. It says, obviously, it says Final Fantasy VII Remake. It has the wrong date on it because this was before the pushback of it. I love it. But this is um, the pre order bonus was a Shinra Power Company uh, employee ID card. Well, GameStop hooked up with um, hooked up with Final or um, Square Enix to have custom ones made for all the GameStop store leaders. So I actually have, and I apologize if this is out of frame on the actual podcast or er, display right now because I'm I'm on delay watching it. There you go. But this Too is cool. this is my actual um, this is my actual. Uh, Shinra employee he's, ID. He's card got your name on it. From Square Enix. Yeah, it yeah. actually has my name on that's it. That's awesome. I don't care if anyone can see my last name. Oh yeah, that's I'm cool. not real secretive about that. But yeah, I, I have a I have a Shinra employee number. It has my name on there, printed on there, and everything. Okay, so I just thought it was something real cool. I have the same card, except it doesn't have my name on it because I didn't work for a video game retailer. A little jealous. That's cool. Uh, Scotty did for my birthday, uh, because the, the remake got pushed back to April, which is when my birthday is, got me the deluxe version. It came with this, uh, a book, a CD, and an awesome steel book to replace the normal cover. I, d- I just kept it in the normal cover, but the steel book is beautiful. Let me pull that out and show you. So the... It's, uh, two-sided. It's got the logo, and on the other side you got Sephiroth and the Shinra building. The Steelbook was nice. Uh, but yeah, the deluxe version is great. And uh, we talked about this. I'm probably going to end up having to get a PS5 in the future so that I can continue the remake. I think it's going to be three or four parts. Um, I'm just going to get the deluxe version each time. And 
they have a nice collection. And and definitely as a collector's item, it was it was definitely worth the extra twenty dollars yeah. to get that deluxe version. Absolutely. So. All right. Um, so now let's start uh, getting deep into the memories uh, surrounding this game. The the first one we're going to open with what has become my my favorite question to ask all of our guests. Uh, and that is, uh, f before we do anything else regarding memories, um, are there elements of the game where you come across it, like, um, let's say it's the opening train scene or something like that, you come across that in your gameplay, you've just fired up Final Fantasy VII for the umpteenth time, you get to that spot in the game and it triggers... A memory for you. I think I think that's part of why I like Final Fantasy VII so much. Is it's loaded with that. Like we just saw the Airbuster fight. Every time I fight the Airbuster. Every time we blow up a reactor. Every time uh, Cloud falls through the church to re meet Aerith again. Mm -hmm. It's it's every fifteen minutes in this game is something memorable. Okay, that stands so, out. So let's talk about at least one of those. Is there a specific memory that triggers? whenever you hit one of those scenes. You mean like, do you mean like an associative memory? Like yes. something else in my life? Yes. Or or like you, you hit that moment in, in uh, that particular spot in the game and you always remember this associative memory. Um, I would say most... Most of them just sort of relate to each other in the game. There are certain things, like I remember, uh, you know, playing it at home on, uh, what, a little 10-inch CRT TV in my bedroom mm -hmm. uh, at, at my desk on my first PlayStation that I owned that I bought at a garage sale for, would you believe, like $10 at the time. <laughs> and, and, and borrowing the game from my friend who I had first played it with to do that. I think there are certain moments of the game that take me back to my bedroom in the house we grew up in, or or my friend's house playing it there. Like, um, okay, there's a scene. Uh, what what's the scene where it looks like a roller coaster, but it's railroad tracks, and it's got breaks in it, and you can fly down and get treasure chests, and you have to climb back up. Uh, th there are certain moments in the game that take me back to my childhood, but. Not in a very strong way. I would say more or less certain parts of the game just remind me of other parts of the game because hmm. it captures my attention fully. And uh, I, I get I get immersed. When I played Final Fantasy VII, I'm there in the game. Okay, so now we've just come to the church part where he falls in the church and meets Aerith. Mm -hmm. Aerith or Tifa? Aerith. 100%? 100%. <laughs> So, Aerith... Oh, spoiler alert coming up, by the way, guys. Oh, sorry, it's in the game. I'm, I don't even have to say it. I just sort of made it her name, by the way. So, if you've never played Final Fantasy VII and you don't want anything spoiled, at least don't watch the screen for the rest of the time. <laughs> it's been 25 years. Yeah. If you don't know the, the I, giant spoiler with Aerith in this game... There's there's a YouTuber that put it perfectly. It's it's a shock and a surprise only to my grandmother, who <laughs> has never been on the internet, <laughs> and is also deaf, and blind, and dead. <laughs> but, but, I mean, like... I, 
I didn't I didn't know that happens to Aerith. And and I found that out when watching your playthrough of the remake, but it's like you know, really? Okay. Characters die in yeah. stories all the time. Well, well, not to mention, well, because the game po- paints it as a big spoiler. It's a big thing that comes out of nowhere because Sephiroth flies down and he stabs her. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my god! And you can't revive her because it's a fatal And you wound. see the sword, like the sword coming yeah, like, like the, through like her chest. straight shish kebab. Yeah, shish kebab. Here, here you go. Because the following line is perfect. Um... But yeah, that's that's the thing about it is is it's only a spoiler for people who have somehow managed to avoid that spoiler for like you said twenty five years have never been on the internet, never read or heard anything about Final Fantasy VII. Come on, you've had plenty of time to play the game. It's on every platform ever. Get to it. Let's get there. <laughs> I'm gonna die. The Flower Girl. Nice to meet you. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so Aerith is an ancient, as the game puts it, up until a certain point. And an ancient is exactly what it sounds like. They're an ancient race uh, that was there before humans. They tended the planets. They could communicate with the planet. Basically a bunch of magical hippies. Aerith is the last remaining one. Um, as per her mother, who died before the events of the game. They do a lot of flashbacks and like scenes into the past. Um, so she can communicate with the planets and uh, sort of use its energy, they call the life stream, to... Um, well, and you'll find out, this is something I was going to touch on earlier, uh, I like the fact that in Final Fantasy VII you're playing as Cloud the hero, who isn't really the hero, because by the end of the game you figure out that Aerith uh, is kind of the hero of the game. She sort of saves the planet from destruction in her own way, from beyond the grave, so... Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. And and that completes our our uh, effort to spoil the entire Final Fantasy VII game for you. I if you would like more warning. spoilers, you can check in next week. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Couldn't you consider any plot point to be a spoiler? Exactly. Like, yeah. Like if I if I said, oh, you find out the Turks. Are Shinra suits who do their dirty work. That's technically a spoiler because you haven't read that part of the text yet. Well, and I, I, I could totally get it with something that just came out and you haven't had a chance to see it or something like that. But yeah, game's old. Like, like there's <laughs> movies that, that came out a year or two years or even five years ago that I want to see and I have not seen yet. Yeah. But if I come across somebody that goes, oh, yeah, in this movie that you want to see you know this person dies and i'm just like okay you know so fucking what yeah (laughs) it's a story you know uh so very seldom bothered by spoilers i think it's more relevant to like a tv series where you're waiting for the next episode to come out and somebody watches it before you and you don't want to know what's going to happen or, or that's, that's like, when I take it serious. Or maybe like a sports game, and and you you don't get to see it live, but you got it on on your uh, your Roku or you know whatever else to to go back and watch it after you get home from work. And right. your buddy texts you and said, "Hey, did you see the the Patriots lost?" And you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as far as spoilers go, yeah, at any plot point that has any kind of bearing on the direction of the story could be considered a spoiler and. 
Right, and there's there's so many they they packed so many events and plot points into this game that <laughs> you really could consider half of it to be a spoiler. Yeah, but but like you said, you know, it's 25 years old now. I mean, yeah, Tifa's tits are are sagging to the ground. That's why the Italians like her so much, apparently. Or, yeah, but I I digest. So um, let, let's uh, let's get more uh, again back into the memories. So so let's uh, let's talk like starting from the first time that you played it. Um, is that like a memory that was seared into your mind, or do you just kind of have like vague memories of of playing it over the course of so many days uh, when you first got a chance to? I, I, I think the the, the, the first time is is ingrained in me because um, just that feeling of experiencing turn-based battling for the first time. Especially as a Zelda fan who, you know, I'm used to the action combat. You press the button, he swings his sword. This is, this is different. Uh, this was, um, you know, especially for me being an impatient kid and, and going into it playing somebody else's saved file who had, uh, you know, accumulated some of the magics and things to toy with, and seeing that spectacle, um, seeing the PlayStation hardware unfold, seeing the cutscenes, how, how much better they were looking on a CD than you could produce on a cartridge for Nintendo 64. Um, different graphical style, but I was, I was, I think it was the battle, the battle system, what really sort of imprinted on me. And then, and then just loving that that sort of turn-based battle for RPGs moving forward. Yeah. And and what kind of memories do you have surrounding the game as a whole? Like starting starting with the beginning, is there like not only when and where did you play the game, but like you know. Did you, were you, you know, sitting down in your bedroom with your Twizzlers and your Dr. Pepper and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's essentially, know. that's essentially what it was. What, what is it um, that, that really, you know, honed on and, and you, you think fondly of what this game was like to play back well, in the day? I, I don't, I don't think it was just my initial impression because experiencing Final Fantasy IX for the first time felt very similar. I just ended up retaining this one more closer to my heart because it was my first Final Fantasy and um, I think I think I have this this way of looking at music too where I say okay not just what did this make as a first impression on me but how has it aged and you can look back at retro games and go oh they've aged horribly um, but there's a lot of things about it that are still good. So if I were to say, oh, my favorite band is System of a Down. Not only did I love them now, I still love them and I'm still listening to all of their music 20 years later. I can say something about that, like, like that with Final Fantasy, where I enjoy playing it just as much as I did then. Whereas you take off the nostalgia goggles with some games, and you know you loved it then, but you try to replay it, it just isn't as good now. I think some people feel that way about Mario 64, where they, you know, that was groundbreaking, game-changing, like, from 
from the very foundation of like 3D platforming games is entirely changed because of that game. But trying to play it now, and, and again, this is subjective, but I don't have the same magic for it as I did playing on my N64 when we were growing up. Uh, I do feel that way about Final Fantasy VII, where it hasn't lost any of its value. It still feels just as good to me. That was my next question. Is um, yeah, the the nostalgic factor is still there, twenty five years later or or twenty years later. Yeah, yeah. And if you're the type of gamer that can go into something with a fresh pair of eyes too, and say, okay, well, I'm not really thinking about, you know, I'm trying to feel warm and fuzzy or relive this. I just want to objectively play the game and sort of enjoy it uh, from scratch, so as to maybe pretend like. You know, even though you know the game, oh, I haven't played it before, or I'm just going to scrap what I know about it and look at it from the outside in and put my feelings aside, I'd still say it's a good game. Well, if, if I may, like, in, in the idea of that, right, so, because I'm actually one of the people that kind of feel that way about a lot of, specifically, N64 games, too. Yep. Um, you know, Mario 64 was groundbreaking at the time. Goldeneye was groundbreaking at the time. Final Fantasy VII was gold or groundbreaking at the time. You know, the differences I would say with like a game like Final Fantasy VII versus the other two that I specifically mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and they are very different styles of games, all of them. However, it's the control because you can look at a game like Mario 64, GoldenEye, Final Fantasy 7, and just looking at it graphically, uh, storyline-wise, or, or whatever you want to, however you want to look at it in that respect, you can be like, I understand why this was groundbreaking at the time, right? But you go back and play it, Final Fantasy 7, the gameplay, again, very different, but the gameplay, not clunky, very, very precise, yeah. for a great deal of things whereas if you try to play mario 64 on the 64 itself or even the re- remake on the switch it's you rough. try to pick up yeah you try to pick up goldeneye and you're like oh my god this yeah. is this was first person shooter like how how did you do that with one thumbstick pressing the button to change where you're aiming right. at and and that's that's where the nostalgia goggles okay as it were well, see, kicks in. I, I like this point and i agree 100 percent. but if i was gonna make a counter argument what i would say is that yes but a lot of that has to do with the style of gameplay because the two main things you're doing besides pressing x to get through text and story and cutscenes, is you're moving on uh, what is it called? Isometric, where it's just the eight plane. You can move up, down, left, right, or diagonally. On, uh, you know, from their from their view with the fixed camera angles, that helps. It's a little different than moving the camera around in, say, Ocarina of Time or Mario 64 when you're trying to jump up on a platform. I mean, you can't even jump because there's zero platforming in Final Fantasy VII, outside of a couple of timed mini games where you're swinging and. You have to press X to jump onto the platform, but even then, that's a that's a fixed camera angle. You're not messing with camera angles. Um, and then there's the battling, which you're selecting commands the whole time. You don't you don't move the players around the map while you're battling like you do in Zelda, or if you're trying to punch or or ass stomp an enemy in Mario 64. 
So, so that helps. But your point still stands because they're really hard to play. Those 3D games like that where you do have to move the camera and you do have to move your character in a specific way. Well, I, I noted this in our last episode where we had Tuba Swan presenting Banjo-Kazooie. It seemed like in Banjo-Kazooie that it was a far better uh, camera that followed the the back of Banjo-Kazooie and, and it just constantly was shifting as as the character was moving. I remember way back in the 90s playing Super Mario uh, or Mario 64 and feeling that it was way too complicated with having to move the camera yourself in order to get the proper angle to jump at something. Yeah. Um, so, so I definitely think that's a big part of it when it comes to like uh, what you're talking about with controls because that in itself even though i really did like mario 64 and i probably am going to play it at some point on on my channel again um that definitely played a part in that that i i, I wasn't i was kind of put off a little bit by the fact that that was a part of the controls of the game yeah and it was one of their selling points when the n64 first came out i, I literally have a promotional um vhs tape where they're showing off the 3D capabilities um, in terms of like taking Mario and moving him around in a circle and jumping and doing the triple jump and, and then they show off the camera angles where you use the C buttons to spin the camera around and it, it's really clunky. But yes, at the time it was amazing. If, yeah. if, if you got used to it, and that's really what it was, I mean the limitations were, look that's what you got, you want a 3D game that's how you gotta do it, unless you're playing some bizarre thing on the PC. All right, um, so I actually restarted the second part of the playthrough, but we're going to start wrapping up here. If you have any other questions for our guests, our Road Game Cafe, uh, please put them in the chat now, and we will make sure that they get asked. Anybody in the uh, live chat, if you're listening, uh, you know, go ahead and put them in now, and we will make sure we ask them. Uh, and Joel, do you have any other memories regarding this game that you wanted to share? Anything that... You know, it's, it really brings up the nostalgic factor for you or, um, you know, why why it continues to be such a relevant game in your repertoire these days. Hmm. That's a lot of different questions. Well, <laughs> you, you could do what I do, uh, which is just ignore you half the time and ignore anything I say and talk about whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm good at that. Um, yeah, in terms of nostalgia, I think just... Um, knowing, even years later, after playing it for the first time, that I liked the game as much as I did, and it was sort of involved in the universe and the compilation and the spin-offs, had always gotten excited for any sort of announcement or release to do with it, like when the movie Advent Children came out, the sequel movie. Um, it, it was sort of like reliving the same excitement, seeing that for the first time, as playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, because, you know, you play a game, and you're done with it, you know the story, that's all there is. When, when they expand upon it, and they're like, okay, here's a sequel to the, the story that you know and love, uh, you sort of get just as excited, if you're that emotionally invested. So... Uh, I remember even in high school, uh, I graduated in 08, 
so however many fucking years ago that was, um, I had started collecting Final Fantasy games, and of course I had to make sure I had seven in my collection, and I do, I have two copies of it, I have a black label and a green label for the original PS1, um, that, that carries on even into me recently getting a demake of the game that I showed off on one of my streams. Uh, I actually plan to play it on one of my streams if I can get the, the proper hookup here. But they remade Final Fantasy VII, or demade as they call it, for the Nintendo NES. And it's just an 8-bit version of the same game. So, uh, you could say, you could say Square Enix milks the franchise. They want to get all the money they can out of people, knowing it's their most popular game, knowing it's one of the most popular games of all time. <laughs> uh, but and I get excited for it. Not every piece of media that has to do with Final Fantasy VII is that great, but it's all a part of the same story. So uh, I don't lose excitement for it. Cage, anything further for our guest? Um, I actually just kind of something that's been mulling in my head here uh, as we've been watching the playthrough. Mm -hmm. um, are you playing on your PlayStation 4 or are you playing on original hardware? I'm playing that on an emulator on the PC. Okay. Um, I guess that was uh, an yeah. option I should have thought of. <laughs> yeah, which, well, because it was the most easiest to capture for this. But um, speaking of nostalgia and memories, um, there really is something to playing on original hardware. I have my original PS1 hooked up here in the studio, and, you know, got the, the original DualShock controller for it, the gray, and you know, put, putting the disc in, and slapping the lid closed, and hearing that PlayStation 1 startup sound, it's, it's just, ooh, it gives me chills. And I got it running through an old stereo cabinet on big honey oak speakers, uh, so, you know, I think playing original Final Fantasy 7 on original hardware is going to be a thing I do in the near future to maybe celebrate getting the studio all set up here. All right. Yeah. You know, well, you know, not only not only is there something to be said for playing like the the just the nostalgia feeling of playing it on original hardware, you know, as we've learned, you know, being connected with members of the community that are speedrunners. Like, that's a thing in the speedrunning community. Yeah. Like, playing it on original hardware versus playing an emulator, like, you, you essentially take a penalty. It right. It seems like playing it on an emulator, you know? Right. So Even if the speed of it isn't a factor, there's something to be said about, well, I, I learned on this controller, so it feels more natural to me to play with these buttons and this shape in my hand. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I, I, I remember uh, playing uh, Super Mario 3 on the SNES All-Stars uh, uh, cartridge yeah, and, Super Mario and, All -Stars. and trying to play Super Mario 3 mm -hmm. on the SNES controller was not working for me at all. I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. I can't do anything. Yeah. It's funny because yeah. I actually prefer it with the Super Nintendo controller, but the original looks different and feels a little different yeah. than yeah, on the does. Super Nintendo. It does. Like, when they remade it for the All-Stars cartridge, it was... Uh, and they tried to give it a fresh coat of paint, and it was ugly as fuck. And, well, not only that, but, uh, like, I, I, I think I felt a little bit of a delay compared to the original game. Like, it just was not mm. responding the same either. But Maybe. The, the controller was, was 
fuck all, you know, I just, I couldn't do that with the SNS, uh, SNES controller, so. All right, uh, so that just about wraps it up, and um, we're going to say goodbye to our guest, uh, who has been Star Road Game Cafe, and uh, you can check him out at twitch.tv slash Star Road Game Cafe. Uh, exactly how it sounds. There are no no weird spellings of anything because he's not that imaginative. But uh, he he did come up with uh, you know the, this desire to uh, play some more RPGs and get his channel out of mothballs and and really you know start kicking in now that we've got everything in our studio pretty much set up here. Uh, you know, the ability to uh, not only do the emulated games and the console capture and that, um, you know, still finagling some of the details, but, uh, you know, just about uh, 100% here with everything that we wanted to accomplish. And, um, you know, you can check him out and he, he does a lot of the retro games too, but, uh, you know, moving forward. So if you if you really want to see some Final Fantasy VII gameplay and some of the other RPGs that he's going to be doing, um, you know, you can check him out on Twitch and also, uh, don't forget to check out Along Came a Spider on Spotify, on iTunes, uh, on Amazon Music. Um, and, uh, the, the band just came out again with their, uh, album not too long ago, uh, Black Hole. They, they played, uh, their comeback, uh, tour event at the, uh, Incarceration, uh, music festival in Mansfield, Ohio at the Ohio Reformatory. And uh, it was a big show, uh, CD release party and all that. Very, very good, well attended. Uh, our, our own Legion Cage was there getting completely sloshed and, and it was a fun time all had. And uh, yeah, but uh, check out the band um, because it's it's really good music. Um, and uh, you, you might find some, some uh, tunes and lyrics there that uh, you can really identify with, I think. So uh, that's about it. Uh, Joel, what do you have coming up on your channel in the next couple of weeks? Uh, I think um, we have... I, I was going to stream tonight. I decided not to. I was having tech issues. I would have been streaming Breath of the Wild. Next time I stream solo, I will probably continue Breath of the Wild for a while until I get bored of it or beat it. Um, but this coming Sunday... Uh, we have a, I have a surprise that I'm not going to spoil for anybody, but every, uh, there will be other members of the community here, hopefully playing some games with us that I'm going to throw up, uh, on the Star Road Game Cafe Twitch. I don't know if I agreed to that. Yeah, we'll see. It doesn't matter. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. If you don't agree to it, then a little yeah. cameo, little cameo. Cage will be here. A few others. You think? You, you never know. You never know who's going to turn up and and uh, what what it's going to be involved. So, what I would say is, uh, you know, check out the Discord because uh, we're probably going to be posting some ramblings in there about that uh, for next Sunday. And uh, Cage, what do you have coming up on your channel now? I ain't got shit. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> no, actually, uh, so. Normally, I try I try to keep uh, a reasonably good schedule of my Tuesday and Thursday happenings. Um, I'm not sure if I will stick to that this week or not. Uh, I'm going to try to. 
um, usually between 10 and 11 Eastern time uh, on my channel. So, so uh, let's yeah. Rather than scheduling, let's just say what what are the games that are in your your scope yeah. right now? Well, uh, I am playing Felseal still, and recently or recently started Final Fantasy Mystic Quest as well. Oh yeah, uh, Mystic Quest. Yeah. Now, one uh, thing I do have going on uh, that is a special thing. I will have a uh, couple special guests. On Saturday, I will be doing a stream on Saturday, time to be determined, um, but I will have a couple special guests, and we're going to be doing a uh, snack box, like uh, that means short and sweet, like we've done in the past, and probably playing some other games. So, All right. Uh, and you, you can check out Cage at twitch.tv slash legioncage. His I am going to spell because it is not intuitive at all, ever for your entire life spelled l-e-g-i-o-n-k-a-j-e -E. it's leg ion kaje that's right check him out on twitch.tv and of course my channel twitch.tv slash ebc 2021 uh for all of your scheduling needs please check out our website uh which is www uh ebc2021.com we have our schedule that uh, includes both twitch and discord only content and uh upcoming events other information all that other good stuff and uh if you are listening to the audio version of the podcast stop on by we'll, we'll treat you like family which is going to be pretty much like shit anyway so somebody get um, in here and tell him it's 2022 now is it 2022 <laughs> i i don't know it's been 84 years what year is it um <laughs> Anyway, yeah, the Arcade Nostalgia Memories podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 7. Uh, like I said, I think s Episode 8 is going to be scheduled for the 27th of February. If you would like to uh, come down and check out the live broadcast where we record the podcast live. Um, if not, uh, if it's going to be changed, we don't know quite yet. It's not locked in, uh, but just check the schedule on the website and we'll make sure... Um, so I am your host, EBC, also known as Scotty, uh, for the Nostalgia Memories, uh, this, uh, Arcade, and this, I can't even say the name of my own fucking podcast properly, <laughs> Arcade Nostalgia Memories Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. I'm, I'm drunk. Good night. Goodbye. Adios. See ya!